0: Joshua chapter 7. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to roll through we're in chapter 10 I believe last time. And we're going to roll through several chapters here because a lot of what it is is just a log an entry of of pretty much what went on. And so we're going to skip out. Oh, we're going to kind of we're not going to go around it, but we're going to kind of just quickly go through these to get to where I want to be tonight. And so now I I need tonight start don't get nervous, but we're going to start in Genesis and if you remember um when Adam and Eve sinned, I mean that's I mean even even uh, the the little ones know about Adam and Eve probably, but we know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned and God came and he cursed <clears throat> essentially cursed uh, three things. That word cursed. I looked up the word curse in this Greek lexicon, you know, or this Hebrew lexicon, and it said cursed, curse, cursed, cursing, cursed like what do, you, what do you what do you go to these things for? You know what I mean. So I had to pick up uh, Webster's Dictionary, and it says vexed, or afflicted, or tormented. Vexed, afflicted, or tormented. We're not talking in a type of a curse that some uh, so-called witch or something may put on be put on somebody. God, in His ability, and in His providence, His in His in His, uh, in His uh, power was able to, uh, how do I say this? He was able to arrange su- such things in this world that would bring a vexing, that would bring an afflicting, and that would bring what some may call torment. Okay? And so, God cursed, we see, we can use that word, three things. Number one, we know He cursed the serpent. And watch this, the, the actual serpent itself, He, he, he would forever move along on his belly, and eat dust. What does it mean? He didn't used to do that. I mean, I, you can go in all sorts of ways. It's very interesting here, actually. I believe, obviously, even, uh, I think you can find some scientists that might say that the serpent they can see at one time probably had legs, and uh, maybe God took those away and said, you're going to just slither around on your belly. So the, the snake itself was was cursed. Well, why would that be? I believe that serpent allowed Satan to possess him. How else was was Satan going to talk to Eve? He had to have a body, give you something to think about. I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. That's just where that's just some some deductive reasoning going on here. Okay, so you have the serpent was cursed. Satan himself was cursed. And we remember, we looked at this this morning where he said enmity. God was going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. And, and he said this, you will lose. And can I tell you tonight, 2,000 years ago, he lost. Amen. And uh, we, are, we are living on the winning side right now. I thank the Lord for that. So the serpent was cursed. Eve was cursed. She was vexed. She was afflicted with what? Pain and sorrow, in childbearing, pain and sorrow. What does that mean? You know what God's intention was, ladies? No pain in childbearing. Yeah. Wow. I want you to. You can notice something else. Here's another thought you can run. You can run with on your own free time. But God said that He would. He would. Um, oh, I got to look at the word. I'm going to find the word, or else I'm going to mess it up. Genesis. Here we go in Genesis. Here we go. Where to go here? Uh, Genesis. Here it is, verse uh, sixteen. Under the woman he said, "I will." Oh, here it is. Multiply. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Now listen to this. And thy conception. Isn't that interesting? You can think about that this week and get back to me next week what you think about that. Thy sorrow and thy conception. Was it ever God's intention for women to have 10, 15, 12, 20 kids? No. Yeah. If we were created immortal, could you imagine how quickly the planet would multiply and be overloaded? (laughs) Something to think about anyway. I'm not being dogmatic on any of this, but I'm just telling you what it says. Pain and sorrow and childbirth. It says, oh, you'll love this one. The other part of the curse, she'll be ruled by her husband. Oh, that just quenched the spirit, didn't it? <laughs> hey, yeah, that's just what it says. Why? Because the one was deceived. The man did it willingly because he's a he was a dope. But the one was deceived, and so God told Eve, "Your the, the your your desire. Listen to this. Your desire is going to be to your husband. You go look it up and read it. It says this is what it says." And I believe every woman in the depths of her soul has a desire to be led and ruled by her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Some don't do it very well, and, and and that's the problem. And so pain and childbearing. Let me move on. This is going nowhere. Let me move on to Adam. <laughs> this is, yeah. And the curse to Adam was the, was the, what he, he was going to toil in the ground, by his sweat and his labor. And uh, God said, you're going to till the ground and sweat. You're going to eat of the ground and labor. And the ground is going to be cursed with thorns and thistles. Something else for you to think this week? I mean, I'll tell you, this this third chapter of Genesis is, is just uh, teeming with stuff to think about. He says it was cursed. Well, look what he said here. For thy sake, for thy sake, Adam, I cursed it for your sake. Hmm? You think about that this week. <clears throat> so the curse of the ground, now that really gets me. I don't like that. Because I didn't like it as a kid when my grandfather would bring us out into the field. Now, this is for those that have younger children, uh, just a, as an example, Um I, what I don't recall from those days was my grandfather or grandmother, mother, father, any adult saying, Hey sweetie, would you like to go out and pull thistles? Mm-hmm. Oh come on. You wanna go do that? Please for me, I'll give you a dollar. All right, ten dollars. i give you how how many ever had a parent or grandparent do that? <laughs> you know what was implied? We're pick, we're pulling thistles today. Come with me. Okay, here we go. And I and this is what I hate about the curse of the ground, because when I was when I was younger, we'd be brought out in the field and we had to pull up weeds, and when the weeds were gone, it was the the horse thistles were the worst because if the cows did eat them, they're kind of poisoned. But I didn't think they really ate them anyway. But it no matter that was the reasoning, and I had to had to pull them up and we had to get them off the property. But I really began to hate. The idea of a cursed ground, and this is what I'm talking about tonight, a cursed ground, I really begin to hate it when I begin to have my own property. And when you have your own land, and you look out over those acres, and you go, that's a lot of work, that's a lot of weeds along the fence line, that's a lot of weeds coming up. You know why? Because it, it, it's there's nothing worse than a bale of hay full of weeds, right? Why? Because it's worthless. Cows won't eat it. What's it... What's a good buying it uh, buy right today? A $50 bale, of, a round bale of hay when they won't eat half of it. No, it's, weeds are annoying, aren't they? That's okay. I know they, you get that clover in there. That's good stuff, you know. But weeds, thistles, no, not good. What about your own yard? You know what? There is nothing worse than spending money on your yard to have a nice, a nice yard, okay, and you get the grass seed, and you have some landscaper come in, and dig it up, and bring topsoil, and replant everything, and it's looking beautiful, and then all of a sudden, you see crabgrass, I hate crabgrass, and then after a few years, you know what you start seeing in early spring, onions coming up, those are, I mean, they're pretty green, I mean, you get into a really nasty yard, and all it is is onions, looks pretty good for a little bit, it's all that green, it's like, oh, that's pretty, mow it down, you know, it looks nice, until it, you know, summer comes and it dies, you know. They're just ugly. Just weeds. Weeds. Dandelions. I know they're good for the bees. I know that. But they're not good for a nice yard. And they can just go grow somewhere else, right? Right. I don't like weeds. Why? Because they cost a lot of money to keep them at bay. Do you realize this? I I just read the EPA does studies every year on pesticides and herbicides and things like that. And in 2012, Americans spent nearly $14 billion on pesticides, which includes herbicides. $14 billion. Why? To get rid of weeds. To get rid of weeds. They're a huge problem. They're a problem in our yards, they're a problem in our fields, but even more than that, you know what else? Weeds are a problem in our spiritual life as well. We got them there too, don't we? <laughs> yeah, you knew I wasn't just going to stand on, stay on yards and weeds all night, I hope, right? Spiritual life. No, we have weeds within our own spiritual life, and, and really they are worse uh, than the the physical weed they are more they're more annoying than them they are more destructive than them they are more costly than them why because they have eternal consequences you know we 're going to the judgment folks we 're going to stand before the Lord Jesus christ and we 're going to give an account for our life and there are rewards and 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 things that could have been ours that will not be ours because because of the sin in our life that could have been taken care of. You ever stop to ponder what the millennium reign is going to be like? We're going to rule and reign with them, right? Yeah. Some of us some of you might be trash truck drivers. Some of you might be governors. No, this isn't a fairy tale, folks. Yeah. We're going to the judgment. And weeds in our life have eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. So I want to look at tonight quickly how do we get rid of weeds in our life? That's a that's a That's, uh, I think, a helpful thing, I hope. How do we get rid of weeds in our life? And the first thing I want you to notice tonight in the book of, of Joshua where we are, and you can go back maybe around Joshua chapter 10... I'll get there here in just a minute, but Joshua, we know what the progress that has already been made in Israel's existence. They have crossed the, the Jordan River. They have uh, they have flattened Jericho. They have taken out AI. They have uh, they have made peace and, and uh, with the uh, inhabitants of Gibeon, and they put them under under tribute and, and under uh, they are essentially enslaved to Israel. And then God fights for Israel. We saw that last week when He took out the Amorites and He took out the kings of Jerusalem and Heshbon and Jarmuth and Lachish and Eglon. And if you would, let's, let's remind ourselves of what this was. What, look, look at this chapter 10 and verse 20. Let's revisit this real quickly. Chapter 10 and verse 20 in the book of Joshua. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Joshua and the children of Israel had made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they were consumed, that the rest which remained of them entered into fenced cities. Verse 21, And all the people returned to the camp of Joshua at Mecca in peace. None moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Oh, you think not. <laughs> nobody opened their mouth against Israel. No, nobody, nobody flapped their jaw one bit. Because, why? They just rolled over everybody in this in, in Canaan. And so you know what they're doing? They're just quietly walking away. You ever see some loudmouth get popped in the mouth and watch them quietly walk away? <laughs> Doesn't have anything to say anymore, does he? Yeah, real tough before that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're quiet. Look at verse 40. So Joshua smote all the country of the hills and of the south, and of the vale, and of the springs, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea, even unto Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even unto Gibeon. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel, what kings? Well, the Hazor came up, and he was going to uh, come up against Joshua as well. We didn't look at this last week. But there were some kings that tried to join Hazor. And there's was the kings of the Canaanites, and of the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Hivites. And the Bible says the Hivites under Hermon. That is the northern, one of the most northern, uh, the northernmost points of Israel and not only that the highest elevation is Mount Hermon it, as you said on the mount, if you, in, in January we are there in January we are on the Sea of Galilee and you look to the north and you see way in the distance this big snow capped mountain I remember thinking what is that I didn't think they had that around here I mean you know and uh, they said oh that's Mount Hermon it's pretty much the Syrian border so Joshua took everything out everything was removed there and then, and then, when you get to chapter eleven, chapter eleven, verses sixteen and seventeen, we're just gonna we're flying through here. So Joshua took all the land, the hills, and the south country, and all the land of Goshen, and the valley, and the plain, and the mountains of Israel, and the valley of the same, even from the mount from Mount Halak, that goeth up to Seir, even unto Balgad in the valley of Lebanon, under Mount Hermon. And all their kings he took and smote them and slew them. And so, Joshua's taken everything out. In verse 21, he takes out Anakim. He removes the Anakim. And then finally, Joshua has successfully taken control over the land that God gave to Israel. Chapter 11, look at verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land rested from war. The land rested from war. So Joshua has taken control. He's taken control over everything. The war has ceased. And uh, this, I think, was what we would call progress. (laughs) progress now begins the whole uh, detail of parting out every tribe's possession they're going to get an allotment of land okay except for the levites they don't get land the lord is their possession but everybody else is going to get an allotment of land <clears throat> but as they as we find out while this goes on and it's going to take a little while That there are still some inhabitants living in the land, although they have taken out all of these kings, they've taken out some of these, these, uh, these uh, villages and nations and walled cities. um, There are still people living in the land of Israel that were living there when Israel showed up. They're still there. They didn't like. It wasn't like just a, a wholesale everybody's gone and not a person left. There's still some left. There's women and children left. There's some things left like that. And chapter 12 is now a log of all of the kings that have already been taken out. They just begin to name them, okay? And then we get to chapter 13, and Joshua is reminded by God that he's getting old, <clears throat> and some of their inheritance still needs to be possessed. It needs to be allotted. It needs to be given out. And that there are still inhabitants uh, here that the 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 inhabitants that were in the land when Israel showed up were still in the land. Let me say that again because th- this is going to be important later on. There are still inhabitants that were there when Israel showed up that still need to be exterminated, dispatched from the planet, removed. Try <laughs> trying to think how many ways I can say this. And so in verse 7 of chapter 13, God says that the land still needs to be divided up between the nine and a half tribes that are on the west side of the Jordan River. You remember the Reubenites and the Gadites, that other half-tribe of Manasseh, received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan River. So from chapter 13 to chapter 19, Joshua is going to divide up the land now between all of the tribes. Well, tonight I want to, okay, he's uh, he's dividing, all right, he's dividing out land between the tribes, right? And I want you to look at chapter 17. Now, this is where we're going to stop tonight, in chapter 17. As Joshua has been doling out the land to the tribes, there is a possession lot that has been given to the tribe of Manasseh. Now, if you would please, chapter 17, look at verse 1. The Bible says, There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, to wit, for Mekir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war, therefore he had Gilead and Bashan. So we're talking right now about the tribe, the other half of the tribe of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh is going to receive 10 portions of inheritance in addition to those that were received on the other side of the Jordan River of that other half tribe. And in verses 7 through 10 now, is going to describe the land. I, I don't know if I really want to read all of this. There's a lot of information there that I don't know if we necessarily need. But it's a description of their land. And then verses 11, verse 11, is a description of... Of the cities and the towns that were are within are within this uh, inheritance. If you were to look at a map and you'd go up Israel about halfway up from the Mediterranean Sea, and then you could go up another third, maybe to the top of Israel, and maybe another maybe a third. Wish I had a map. You would along the coast of uh, of the Mediterranean and go from the coast of the Mediterranean on that that piece, Uh, east to the Jordan River, that would be the inheritance of Manasseh right here. It's a large inheritance. It's a large piece of land. It's a large tribe. And so verse 11, as I said, describes all the cities and the towns that come with it. But verse 12, verse 12 lays out a problem within the inheritance of Manasseh. Brother Jim read this for us just just a little bit ago. Manasseh had a stubborn problem. Look at verse 12. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Now these Canaanites, we know the whole land is called Canaan, but the Canaanites were of the line of Ham. The line of Ham. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Noah's sons. The line of Ham. These are these Canaanites. They inhabited that western that western boundary of of Israel. Okay, it, okay. If you would take Manasseh's portion and take maybe half of the west side of their portion, all the way up and down, that would be where the Canaanites lived. They lived along the coast and inland just a little bit. And they were in the land. They were in these cities. They were along that coast. And the Canaanites, when Manasseh got their inheritance, the Canaanites were so much stronger than they were that they couldn't drive Manasseh couldn't drive them out. So the Canaanites were allowed to stay there. <laughs> That's right. Uh-uh. Not good. And so Manasseh grew strong enough eventually that he put the Canaanites under tribute. He made them, he made them pay taxes, <laughs> made them pay them for staying there. So watch, what is this? This is the acknowledgement that Manasseh owned the land. The Canaanites didn't rise up up against him. It's an acknowledgement that it belonged to Manasseh now. The Canaanites weren't leaving, so Manasseh made him pay taxes. Do you think, let me ask you this. Is it possible at this time that Manasseh had been there long enough; they had the Bible said were waxen strong. Do you think that Manasseh could have removed the Canaanites? I think they could have. When you look at the land that the Canaanites lived in, it wasn't much. Hold on, don't miss this. <laughs> it seems to me that the Canaanites were left there. Because they were beneficial to the tribe of Manasseh, how were they beneficial? Money, yeah. So instead of getting rid of them, they benefit us enough. Even though God has told us to drive them all out, they benefited us. us they benefit us enough that we will allow them. Will allow them to stay in here. Now, the Canaanites became a stubborn problem to Israel. Do you realize from what we can guess, and I say we, because I don't know who else I'm talking about when I say we, they, I should say they, like I'm some scientist. I'm not. (laughs) That just came out. They assume, they guess, maybe guess is a better word, that Israel crossed over the Jordan River into Canaan in about 1407 B.C., The prophet Zechariah is going to write his prophecy about the year 470 B.C. Listen to what Zechariah 14.21 says. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be (coughs) holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and, and, and see therein. And in the day that there shall be no more Canaanite. Wait, listen to that again. And in that day, there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. 937 years later, Zachariah says, There's coming a day, what we know as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, there's coming a day when the Canaanite will forever be out of the land. This was still a few thousand years away. What can we what, what do we see here the Canaanites became a very stubborn problem why was Canaan why were the Canaanites a stubborn problem because the people who inhabited their land had a stubborn problem themselves yeah. look at verse 13 would you please yet it came to pass, when the children of Israel were waxen strong, I think that we could infer further that they had ability now. That they put the Canaanite to tribute. Now look at this. But did not utterly drive them out. That was their choice. Do you see that? They chose not to drive out, watch, what God said... To drive out. This just isn't like we need more space, or we don't want our children learning the the, the cultural things of the Canaanites, or we just uh, we have we had this idea and we don't want you here because this is land is our land and it's not your land type of a deal. No, that wasn't it at all. The problem is God said drive them out, and they didn't. They didn't do it. You know, when I told you about my grandfather who would have us walk the fields and uh, dig up weeds, and I mentioned about horse thistles. <clears throat> and you know what a horse thistle I mean, they're ugly. big. Let them, they get really big and thorny and nasty. And and he would give me this hoe, and I would walk out there in the field, and, and we would uh, hoe those things up. Yeah. But what I was not to do was to cut them off clean at the ground with my hoe. Exactly. That hoe was to dig them up and pull roots and all out of the ground, right? Yeah. We understand weeds, don't we? Right? And see if it, if it happened that I just cut one clean from the ground, it might look okay for a while, but eventually that dude would be back. And he'd be back with a vengeance. Why? Because he's got about 25 feet of roots underneath him. And just, he's just sucking up water all over the place. And he's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You ever try to pick one of these little weeds out of the ground? You pull it and that thing has roots 10 times longer than it does? Yeah. I think I I think I have a rotator cuff problem because of weeds. You know, I was, I, I don't know, I did something. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Yeah. I watch, I couldn't just cut them up off the ground from the ground. I had to pull it up. All of it out of the ground. Do you know this is exactly what that half tribe of Manasseh did with the Canaanites? They cut them off instead of pulling them up. They lived with them instead of getting rid of them. Remember Pharaoh? Yeah, Just let us go and the frogs will go away. Well, just one more night with the frogs, he said. Isn't that crazy? You know, just like the inhabitants living in the land, when Israel showed up, did you realize when God showed up in our life, there were inhabitants living in our land as well? We had inhabitants in our own life, didn't we? We had we had sin in our own life that had taken root over the years and years and years, maybe before we ever came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God showed up, they were already there. Now, now, uh, listen. There are some things that when we got saved, you remember. Some of you remember these. Some things just went away, didn't they? They, they? There were some easy things. They just took wings and they flew away. You're like, I don't even want them anymore. I didn't want that anymore. I don't want to go that way anymore. And it was just simple, but there are some things. Those dudes had roots, didn't they? Yep. Yep. Do you know, just like Israel, we have the responsibility to remove these inhabitants from our own life. You say, how how do you know that? I don't know. Be holy as I am holy. Come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing and I'll receive you unto myself. Be separate, saith the Lord. Yeah. Is that any different than the command that Israel had to get rid of the inhabitants? No. God gave us a directive. This is the land I have given you. (laughs) Right? Clean it up. And get the inhabitants out. Why? Well, what had happened to Solomon? What did God tell what did God tell him in Deuteronomy? They will steal your heart, and they will take your heart, and they'll turn you towards other gods. That's exactly what happened. You know, many times we create lasting problems for ourselves instead of just pulling up the sin of our life, we cut it off at the ground. It might look good for a while. We might do all right with it for a little while, but eventually we'll see it again show up in our life. And Why? Because those roots are still in the ground. Now watch this. Because that first generation of the, uh, of the tribe of Manasseh did not drive the Canaanites out when they could. Many generations after them had to deal with them. You know, it is to me. It's like it is no wonder that eighty-eight thousand people a year are dying because of alcohol. Remember dry counties? Remember dry states? Remember a dry country? I mean, history books. I that's all I know from those. <laughs> a dry, dry prohibition, and people say, "Oh, oh, oh, don't outlaw it. We we shouldn't have outlawed it. We made a big mistake because it just went to the black market." Well, how are we doing today? 88,000 people a year dying from it. This Listen, that doesn't include broken homes. That doesn't include bankruptcy. That doesn't include a whole list of social ills that come with it. Maybe if that first generation just had stuck their heels in the in the dirt and said, no, we're going to keep this. Maybe, maybe we wouldn't be dealing with it like we are today, huh? Yeah. You know, it's no wonder to me that... That a generation is being decimated by entertainment? Some of you who remember the movie houses that were the most benign westerns. Good and evil, and good always won. My, we've come a long way. But can I tell you, even in those days, preachers preached against those too? (laughs) They did. Yeah. Why? Why? Because it was all worldly philosophy, and what happened? It takes your heart. I'm not against entertainment. I'm against ungodly entertainment that steals our heart. Yeah. Is it no wonder that the next generation in America is going to be affected by narcotics and illicit drugs that have been that have been made legal? Isn't that isn't that astonishing? Yeah. You know, what, what is it, Washington State? Was it what is it, Oregon that have legalized legalized mind altering narcotics? Isn't that incredible. So now what we you know what we're thinking now? Oh well marijuana, that's stuff. at least it's not heroin. See how quickly that happens? Yeah. Watch this. We are dealing today with weeds that should have been pulled up by previous generations. Yeah. Brother, Neil, can, I'm losing this. Can you give me some more sound here? I feel like I'm yelling. we me give you some problems with weeds. You know what it well you know what they are. But I just like hearing this again because to remind me how much I hate weeds. They're ugly. Some people might like a dandelion, okay? Some people might like something. But but by and large, you know, you look at a horse thistle, that thing's ugly. They're creepy looking sometimes. You ever seen some of those? You're like, what is that? like some prehistoric looking thing. I don't even want to touch it. (laughs) They're ugly. They take over the good plants. They take over. They take nutrients out of the ground. Their roots are usually a lot deeper. And so they can get that lower water source and they just drain everything from those those, uh, plants that are, are more of a shallow root system. They rob other vegetation of needed sunlight right they, 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 what is that called uh, I just went blank what do they do sunlight 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 when they get photosynthesis. to photosynthesis thank you brother photosynthesis they block out the light they block out the light. you know this is really the same problem with sin isn't it I think I think it's a good time just to remind all of ourselves about the problem with sin and that it's it's ugly and there is no lasting beauty in it. Oh, I know you can see the billboards and I know you can see the commercials and the beer commercials and the beer, and the billboards and all those things. And it's all of the beautiful people of the world and they've got the best smiles and they're having the greatest time. But they never show you the guy vomiting his guts up afterwards. Yeah. They never, no, they never show you the, the friend of ours whose wife is dead tonight because of a drunk driver and he just had to put her in the grave this week. They don't show you that. Sin's ugly. There's no lasting beauty in sin. The Bible says sin is good what? For a season. It is. It takes over and crowds out the good. As sin multiplies and grows, it'll be all that can be seen in a life. Takes nutrients out of our life. The roots get so deep that they, they just begin to suck up everything out of our life of joy and peace and faith and trust. Just takes it all. Then it robs us of necessary light. You know, the Word of God chapter, the Word of God psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light, the Bible says, it giveth understanding under the simple. And what what sin does, it begins to crowd out our desire for the Word of God, and without the Word of God, what are we doing? We're losing light, we're losing understanding of the Word of God. It's just a big weed. Weeds, weeds, weeds in our life. So what do we do about it? Well, we see what Manasseh did. What should we do about it? Well, pull it up. Don't cut it off. Pull it up by the roots. You know, Jesus illustrates this principle somewhat. Matthew 18, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. Now, he's speaking figuratively here. Let me establish this. People coming to church next week, bandaged up without arms or hands, you know, (laughs) or feet. If thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life uh, halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Verse 9, Jesus says, If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It's better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. What was the moral of the story that Jesus was telling here? It's better to do without something that can cause you to stumble than it is to keep it and end up in utter destruction. I've heard people say, I just have to have cable. Really? I, 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 I don't know. I've just heard, I heard one, I had a friend of mine who said that. I think I'll tell you who it is later. Long time ago. You know, they just have to, they have to have that. Okay. i got to have this show. Okay. And some people it doesn't kill them, but some people it does. And it would be better to cut the cord. <laughs> yeah. Than it would to be destroyed by it. It's better to do without something that can cause you to stumble than to keep it and end up destroyed by it. Pulling up weeds. What Manasseh didn't do is what we ought to be warned about and we should be doing. Whatever it is in our life, pulling it up completely. Completely. You say, I don't know if I can do that. Have we not been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness? No. no, we can do it. We can do it. You know what you'll find out? When you pull that weed out of the ground or the weeds plural, whatever they are, you know. You know what you find out? Joy. Peace. Mm. Peace. Faith begins to grow. Trust begins to grow. Why? Well, because the thing that was sucking that out of your life is gone now. Pull it up. Pull it up. Don't cut it off. Let me ask you something tonight. Maybe it may not affect you at all. Are there people that Get to a place in life where there's not some monstrous weed in their life? Absolutely. So, you ever get to a garden and you have little bitty things come up, and what do you do? You just kind of easily pop those things out of the ground and throw them out? Why? You've gotten all the big stuff out, and you've, watch, you have stayed diligent in making sure nothing takes root like that. You know, you've heard it said they keep short accounts. Sin comes into your life and you immediately go go before God and plead the blood of Jesus and ask him, Oh Lord, whoa, whoa, whoa. Forgive me, let's get that out of here. I don't know how that I'm sorry. What's that? That's just a real easy little plucking of a weed out of the a little weed pulling out of the out of the top topsoil there. There are people there, absolutely. And they're just kind of taking care. But there are some people who still have a few residual inhabitants in their property. And the roots are deep. And it's possible tonight that the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something. Yeah. Maybe he's put his finger on something that's been allowed to stay. And I know what you're thinking. I like this morning's message better than this one. Yeah, This is very necessary. I tell you what, we live in such a... Filthy world, yeah. So easy, so easy to be overrun by it. Listen, if there are if there are weeds in your life that have been allowed to stay, they may be little bitty ones. They may just have popped up, and you you kind of see it. You know what we all need to do? We just we constantly, all of us need to be in the constant position of asking God. Show us the weeds, Lord. I mean, we know where they are usually. But show them to us. Then asking them what needs to be done to pull them out of the ground. Because yeah. some, some have to be pulled out different ways. Right? Some you get a hoe and, and it leaves a lot of mess and it leaves a lot of dug up dirt and a lot of pain and a lot of problem. And some come out pretty easy. Some if you just water them for a, few, a little while and loosen that dirt up, right? Pull that thing right out of the ground pretty easy. Water them, yeah. Get in your Bible. Water the Word. It's amazing how easy sin comes up when you're just immersed and soaked in water. (laughs) They're robbing you. They're robbing you. They're taking taking over. They're keeping you from the Word of God. Pull them up. Listen, if the Holy Spirit of God has put His finger on something in you tonight deal with it, and pull it up. He'll help you. Absolutely will. What are you doing with the weeds in your life? Are you clipping them off or are you pulling them up? Heavenly Father, thank you. What a great reminder tonight. We all, everybody in this room, everybody in this room lives in this place in our life where weeds come up. And there are, undoubtedly could be some that have weeds in their life that have grown out of control and the roots are so deep and they just need to be pulled up out of the ground once for all. God, would you help them? Would you help them to see that it's possible? Sometimes we start pulling on a weed and we got to go back and get a different a different tool or a different something, because you think, wow, that one's deep. I can't get it out just by pulling on it. We've got to use some other methods. Lord, whatever you put your finger on in lives tonight, Lord, that we might have the just that desire and, the, and we see the necessity of pulling those things up out of our life and clearing out a land that you've told us to clear up. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand.